वेलकम टू सन टॉक सन टॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द रिप्रेजेंटेशन ऑफ स्पेस will think about the manifested physical space using ideas from physics art neuroscience and philosophy among others will wonder what exactly is space is it a container of material objects or a positional quality of the world of objects how does our conception of space affect our experience of it how do gravitational effects create space and other phenomena How are we able to perceive a 3D world on a 2D canvas? Do other animals and life forms experience the physical space similarly as us? What is the future of the notion of space, and are we likely to radically reconceptualize it? We are very pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today: Dr. Sachin Deshmukh. He is a neuroscientist interested in fundamental rules that make us what we are. He uses hippocampus and its role in spatial navigation to understand the workings of the brain. He is from IIT in Bangalore. Atul Dodia is a painter working in diverse mediums with diverse subject matters. He thinks of himself as an artist without a style. is also very interested in literature and cinema he lives and works in mumbai and professor cs unnikrishnan is a professor at tifr mumbai is a physicist interested in the physical phenomena in the real world and its conceptual basis and has a special interest in gravitational physics Nee, why don't we set the ball rolling with you um, to start at the start and ask ourselves what is space? Uh, does space exist independent of matter? Does space exist because of matter? And what are the confusing conceptions that we hold? Why don't we bust some of them? Yeah, I will. I'll try that. Hmm. Of course, uh, when people want a description of what space is, mm-hmm. they seem to turn towards typically a physicist yeah that's because uh, perhaps because physicists have worried about this question the most they monopolize this uh, question no, for no not really time. philosophers <laughs> but everybody has a sense of space space is uh, so much part of every living beings life not just human beings sure understanding perceiving comprehending and then representing the space becomes a very important part of life yeah so in that sense everybody knows what space is if you ask anybody a child onwards would be able to say something about what space is yeah however from the physicist point of view space is something very special mm-hmm. because uh, most of physics is about motion dynamics mm-hmm. so there are two fundamental quantities which become essential to describe any physical phenomena mm-hmm. uh maybe naively but one sh- one could start saying by saying by saying that 
physical phenomena happen in space mm. and they that progress that would be the naive conception of yeah, it right? and they progress in time so yes. i mean that is just a working kind of a hypothesis and then therefore you have to understand what space is mm-hmm. whether it is just an arena for physical phenomena or whether space determines physical phenomena what is time all that becomes important so careful definitions and careful understanding is very important sure. because otherwise you don't understand motion if you don't understand motion dynamics then there is no physics yeah so that is why for physicist this is an extremely important primary concept yeah okay so the, justifiably all throughout the history of physics natural philosophy people have been trying to carefully define and use the concept of space uh of course in the context of old astronomy and so on mm-hmm. in some sense i think people had a very easy solution to this mm-hmm. because there are these distant stars which don't seem to be moving around which provided a reference frame and all motion could be referred to this reference frame so astronomy from ancient times to today the concept of space is relational in that sense but right. astronomy is not physics physics is something which is more abstracted sure talks about physical laws laws of motion and so on so therefore uh, i think probably by newton's time mm mm-hmm. because that's when the laws of dynamics were formulated very clearly mm. so newton took upon himself to define these things very precisely and uh, i and feel was, that what was his definition yeah so we are immediately coming to that in some sense they are inspired by theological considerations according to me sure because uh, for various reasons which was justified later probably newton talked about absolute space and absolute time uh, which were some idealized versions of space which is familiar sensible yeah so he makes both statements he talks about absolute space uh with a property which is defined by itself and uh, not in relation to anything external that's a important phrase there yeah remains immovable and so on and therefore absolute time also he defines uh, in a particular way flows equably without any relation to anything external and so on and and only does the conception of space precede the conception of time the way we currently hold it or the, the, the i have been wondering about yes. of space rather this, the, i think it does i think it does mm-hmm. uh that is because even when there are no physical changes yeah nothing is progressing you need to configure objects somewhere yeah therefore space becomes essential but it's also if you look at uh, our own growing up and how do we uh, sort of internalize these concepts as a small child newborn to few months space becomes an essential thing for but various th- things but time doesn't 
time there is no time for a child i think is what i feel <laughs> the smaller you are the lesser important it's timeless but space is very important mm. to recognize sure. people and various things you know we don't need to go into detail you have to deal with space you don't have to deal with time that's really yeah as you become more adult of course time becomes an important and of course with the finiteness of life and so on time becomes more and more important as you go, as you go on i think but yes in that sense uh, uh, space is more uh, earlier than time interesting so you spoke about the newtonian conception which yeah. is more absolute and the no uh, no immediately after defining this he mm-hmm. immediately says however mm-hmm. since these concepts are not sensible mm-hmm. they are unobservable they are not cannot be seen yeah. in their place we use relational space and relational time right and that's the only way he is able to finally construct his dynamics right right uh, but we can come back to this uh, issue of absolute versus relative right interesting but interesting. kant uh, later uh, reflects this space and time as a priori correct concepts and mm-hmm. but uh, uh, i think finally what is used in physics all over is always relational space and relational time where do we stand on it today oh it has gone to the other extreme today we have uh, well, perhaps unwisely rejected any reference to absolute space and absolute time sure with einstein's uh, theory of special relativity this happened and uh, we are only talking about relational space and relational time today except perhaps in the case of cosmology which is at present treated separate from rest of physics because you don't have another ref- uh, universe yeah, so, to refer to yeah the <laughs> cosmology should have been integrated into all physical phenomena this we will yeah. come back to later but uh, right now uh, cosmos is just another physical system in physics sure. so therefore uh, we interesting still use, i think there's some interesting uh, ideas there we'll unravel them yes. as we go along atul why don't you go to you and as you as we think of the history of art and where we are and how you deal with space as an artist what is space to you um i mean of course uh, in fine arts in painting hmm. uh, we call it pictorial space right it's a two dimensional space for painters yeah you know sculptors they work you know in three dimensional space their object is three dimensional that's so, right so and uh, often they would kind of turn around go back and you know see it from the top from the bottom and there are various ways of looking at an object mm. you see whereas in what happened i think by the end of the 19th century in mm. france uh, particularly the masters like paul cezanne, cezanne. who started kind of uh, not experimenting but started working about landscape in such a way that uh, the surface was becoming flat i mean if you see the renaissance painting then there is a kind of a perspective of course but it was never here in india in indian miniature paintings they were always flat right. and they were more about you know your uh, emotional uh, you know feelings which how to generate and how to show those so it will be shown through color it will be shown through sort of a form for example uh, say abhisari ka naika mm-hmm. you know that is someone who is uh, uh, going to meet beloved in the late night Mm. and uh, she is afraid 
actually fear is in her heart mm. so what the painter did that it was like a dark background mm. and there is a rain but mm. there is also snake mm. nearby she is she, she is not sort of afraid of snake but through snake a painter is suggesting of uh, a fear in her heart you know right. so this kind of you know um, symbolism was used in indian painting and we were never into three dimensional space it was a renaissance concept in europe you know where you come across a kind of a depth and, and when when did perspective enter art even in even in europe uh, the which But, Which because has it always? I mean, clearly it was. It must have been flat at some time, right? Right. I mean, you know, like say in the initially, of course, like if you go to cave paintings, they were drawing, you know, because of bulls or whatever sure. the animal which they wanted to eat or wanted to kill, and they were like a kind of flat just drawings. Sure. Gradually, as you know, like uh, time passed and uh, more and more grip over the medium came, and uh, when a man become more skillful, you uh-huh. know, he start as if. Uh, not uh, out of any audacity but you know out of kind of a sheer joy of depiction you think the medium has something to do with it no i don't think so sure. medium is not necessarily uh, um, to begin with important sure. medium medium has its own role to play that sure. we could talk later but um, it like when you get a skill then you want to show those skills like of if course. someone is as a building a body and as he gets his muscles more and more sort of shown he he enjoys wearing tight t-shirts and <laughs> things like that <laughs> like salman khan you know but uh, uh, but Uh, so I think it that's what happened. So why 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 period. did Cezanne go flat? Exactly no, and then what happened? Then because it, the 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 uh, great physical space in terms of landscape, in terms of people in landscape or in uh, in archi- with architecture was so well uh, depicted, and and I think artists were uh, um, quite. i mean they were always creative but they were throughout inventing as well mm-hmm. and within that they felt that okay you know there are certain kind of things that explored 100 years back mm-hmm. you know uh, like a flemish masters rembrandt and other people so then there was a need to do something different mm-hmm. and while doing that in the process i mean of course this is a part of history one could even read on the internet sure. but still kind of since we are talking i'm just sharing sure. that when the impressionist came the late 19th century french painter they thought that sunlight an open space has so much sort of you know uh, warmth and sort of joy mm. you know you are in a room you are fine happy and as soon as you go out you know you feel little uh, sometimes you know i mean generally like sure. people go to hill stations why and the idea and concept about space is it has to do to begin with the sky sure. as if you know like when you come on to the outside and when you say space so you see up Yeah, <laughs> wow, what a beautiful. We do that. So I think our really our our con I basic idea is about that. So I think they felt that why not to paint this sunlight, mm. you know, the way it's seen, and mm. so they went and started doing portraiture outside, mm. and they realized sun is moving fast, mm. so they had to work. quickly work so while doing the quickly you mm. know the the to render an image you mm. know it became uh, uh, the kind of the three dimensionality was losing and it was becoming flat and from there a um, one artist called paul cezan started sort of seeing that okay i see tree but when if i see from here it looks different and I, if i see from like say this microphone perspective you know from here i see this part and you see and but somewhere i time but what 
we are constantly move. We are not still. Right. Human beings are never still. We are constantly so he, like even a tree trunk. He would kind of you know one line, two line, three line. You will never see just one line sure. in his case. And sure. that's how kind of you know this thing came. And then of course the the um, Pablo Picasso came. He completely turned it. And he completely yeah within two three years of that period you know he saw Cezanne of course. And five years time he realized that okay object we see as an object but the table has all four sides. Yeah. I see only two sides, and you know maybe top. But you know what about the bottom? What about thing? So what if all these four sides are put together on one single picture plane? Yeah. What will happen? Yeah. And when he attempted that, it was a revolution. Yeah. The completely two thousand years history of painting, art, whatever the way, gradually art uh, 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 theory history was coming up, it toppled completely. and things become something very flat yeah and while talking about concepts he realized that okay you know color is not important this concept is important so it become tonality in term in grays mostly mm-hmm. that's why all the cubist works mm-hmm. which you see they are umber browns black and grays mm-hmm. that's how it happened and after that of course i mean um, 2000 uh, 1914 world war and uh, you know the uh, first world war and then um, Uh, science and Eiffel uh, Tower was built in you know I mean and the uh, engineering and development becomes such a thing that it can it can started rolling in a different way. But like let me tell you one thing as but tell me something Atul yeah. this entire cubism uh, movement or whatever one can, yeah. did it start only with Picasso like did it happen in his mind or You think there were other people doing similar work? No, I think that's why we work. say, you know, the father of modern art is Paul Cezanne. Sure, we say, and sure. but of course, then so I think uh, already the roots were already there. Mm. Picasso came from Barcelona, from actually from Malaga, and came to Bar from Barcelona. He came to Paris at the age of eighteen, nineteen, and by the time he was um, around twenty six, twenty five, he discovered this kind of a thing. But he he also kind of took a lot of thing from African tribal art, right? You know the mask, right? Which are flat. Right, but has very very kind of sharp eyes, like triangular nose, angular thing. So these things he was looking at in uh, Musée de l'Homme, which is a, a museum of mankind, and he saw Cezanne uh, doing this kind of a thing. And there, and already there, in between, there was another artist called Henri Matisse. Yes, he started working, you know, in in color. Correct. And he he decided to go wild with colors. So those uh, like uh, and that. Uh, ism was called fauvism, which is uh, fau means like wild or a Correct. sort of a jungly, you know, kind of Correct. thing. These artists are like uh, wild because they are using red, yellow, blue in such a bright manner. In Renaissance period, this kind of colors were not used at all. And Atul, in what sense are you linking the concept of color to the concept of space? Well, exactly. This is what happened, you know, with with a uh, with because there are com- completely different things happening here, right? What Matisse is doing is very different from what. Picasso was doing exactly I mean, yeah mm. what Picasso did of course because he was interested in the structure mm. you know he was interested in the structure the space mm. you know the distance between say right now you are there and I am here mm. you know four of us were sitting in a kind of a square mm. and that this distances how I shall deal with that you know so what if the, my subject so structure matter structure doesn't need my color. subject matter becomes the in between space. Mm. 
So for that, there were kind of you know drawings. In fact, here in and our why, room, why does Matiz need color? And Matiz felt that you know like when he saw because there was also parallel trail which was going on along with Cezanne was. Vincent Van Gogh, a Dutch painter who sure. used to come to France and paint, sure. and there was another Frenchman called Paul Gauguin. Now Gauguin left his own thing. He went to Tahiti, and he saw this kind of uh, uh, I don't know the the locals from that island, their color and their folkish attitude approach towards mm. their art. He started to introducing in his realism, which mm. is the European sensibility, European realism. What if you add those thing like like say i just give you an example normally we are familiar with the hollywood approach sure. whether it's a, a action thriller sure. or a, you know science fiction but imagine adding the typical bollywood you know uh, <laughs> elements with a song with a color with sentimentality with melodrama into that whole thing what will happen so i think somewhere i mean of course this was a quite a crude example yeah. talking about gogan but i think he kind of you know he added those colors and so van gogh and gogan had already used fantastic bright colors which uh, matisse was very much there and he probably responded to color and now why one artist is responding to certain aspect it is extremely difficult i think the question atul is what's the link between color and space um and y- you seem to be suggesting that for example for picasso yeah. the structure which was yeah. primary yeah. as opposed to any yeah yeah no i i tell you i mean you know say say matisse did a red studio now mm. what he did that there is a wall on the wall there are paintings hanging there is a uh, kind of pedestals which has a, which has a sculpture then there's a easel then there's a model then there's a floor everything is there but what he did the floor the side wall curtains um, the main wall everything he painted in red yeah so what happened though you of course there were divisions little bit you know sure. suggestions of the divisions but everything is red so it becomes flat Right. At the same time, because it's like a specific room, yeah, called Red Studio, which he painted. So, so this thing. So I think when you see a color, you know, like for example, say if I take a just a, any any say cobalt blue uh, and uh, some blue, sure. and if I just draw a line, you know, it's a blue line, but you see as a dark line. You don't see as a color, but mm. as you expand, expand, mm. expand, expand, and if it becomes this such a big patch. then you say blue then you say oh it's a blue mass it's a blue color sure so when when we have a house painted so we ask painter okay you know you just give us some sample pieces and they sometimes do just one patch and you say okay this gray looks fine so you know you paint this gray for my whole uh, house wall and when it gets spreaded then you say oh my god you know it's too light but because it expanded So that's how color and space, you know, uh, kind of starts working. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. I think we'll come that and explore sure. a little bit more, Atul. Why don't we jump to you, Sachin? I think we've heard of two very different conceptions of space. Uh, what's happening in our brain, and um, what is the representation of space like in our brain? Is is our is our brain a map of sorts? What's what's there? Yeah. Uh, so uh, we have to go back to nineteen seventies uh, to understand. Uh, how space was being uh, thought of uh, in in the brain or, or rather uh, when people were rec- recording from hippocampus at that time uh, mm-hmm. there were all kinds of hypotheses about what hippocampus does mm-hmm. uh, it's involved in emotion it's involved in uh, uh, 
like things like processing your running and all, all those kinds of other actions. But when people started recording, like John O'Keefe recorded from neurons in the hippocampus as the rat was running, mm-hmm. what he found was that it was not the actions per se that were being represented there, uh-huh. but where the animal was. So you have a single neuron rec- uh, responding to one particular location. Uh, you mean one particular physical location? Physic- uh, yeah, one particular physical location uh, uh, when, he, when he started doing these experiments. So, of course, uh, questions arose at that point, like, you know, hippocampus receives a lot of sensory inputs. So people started asking, oh, are you just representing what sensory inputs are coming into hippocampus? So rather than representing locations, you're representing this is what I see when I'm here sure. or this is what I smell or taste when I'm here. Or, sure. or touch when I'm here. Uh, so in order to look at that, I mean, we, we get to uh, something similar to what Atul was saying a minute ago about about reducing space kind of a thing. So so basically, uh, the, the whole field started moving towards simplifying what is available to the animal rather than giving it a lot of sensory stimuli. Just saying, I'll give you what is minimally required in order for you for me to see like, can I say that this is sensory stimulus driven or or is it uh, how, how representing did, how, how did all of you know and how did the neuroscientists know that you have to look in the hippocampus? Uh, yeah, so so that was actually, I, I would say, a little bit of a serendipitous thing in the sense that we knew that people are uh, a little lost when they have damage to the hippocampus, sure. like uh, age-related or, or physical damage kind of a thing. Um, uh, we know that uh, uh that when you when you do similar damage in animals you, you in rats or mice you see very similar responses like you you see a little bit of hesitation a little bit of uncertainty about where they need to go or sure. they, they they cannot navigate to a specific location kind of a thing uh but uh, but it, it was still i would say very uh weak circumstantial kind of evidence till okay if actually stuck in an electrode allowed the animals to run around and started showing space being represented in the brain. Mm, that's very interesting. And where, where do we stand today, Sachin? Um, so, so yeah, so... Uh, so, is, is all of... So, if I know a certain range of spaces in the world, depending mm-hmm. on where I've been to, is all of that just mapped in our brain in the hippocampus? What happens? Yeah, so, so there are... Uh, so, so one is uh, hippocampus is limited, right? You have limited number of neurons. A very large number of neurons, but they're still kind of limited number. So... Sure. So the question is, can you represent uh, like any any and every possible space in your brain, or or, or do you have only few things that you can represent? That's a very interesting uh, question. Yeah. yeah. So 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 there are parallel hypotheses. One is people just say, oh, combinatorics. Like you have large enough number of neurons. So if you make enough number of permutations and combinations, sure. uh, you can come up with not infinite, but for all practical purposes, infinite number of spaces. Another conception which I actually quite like is saying that you have finitely large map in your brain existing already. But what you do is when you enter a new space, I you say that, oh, I'm going to use this particular section of this map. Uh-huh. So it's already pre-wired. I just go there and say, I'm going to set boundaries around this and say that this is this particular location. Uh-huh. So so you're, you're, you're sort of p- picking out a, a patch of the map within your brain 
and starting to look at it. Of course, this is uh, very much at the stage of like people talking about it rather than knowing for certain that that's what happens. But in this kind of conception, you can start fitting in a lot of thing, ideas about what we know about the brain. For example, we know that as brain develops, it gets wired. Uh, you have circuits forming. So, so in an adult brain, when you when you go to a new space, it's not as if you're going to rewire everything around to uh, to represent that new space. But at the same time, you have uh, space, different kind of space now, around to uh, to to change a little bit, modify some synaptic connections, create new uh, new uh, slightly alter not create new networks, but slightly alter pre-existing networks. So in that conception, it becomes now very easy. Like you already have a pre-existing map and you select a little patch, you modify it a little bit at the edges and say, okay, here are the boundaries I'm drawing around. So when a kid starts walking, mm-hmm. a toddler starts walking, is that like, what I mean is that is it important I mean, how important is navigation? How important is being in that place and space as opposed to just experiencing the space, if, if you know what I mean? Um, like, does a bunch of the spatial mapping mm-hmm. uh, um, happen when toddlers actually start walking? Yes, actually, yes. You 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 start seeing seeing that. Uh, well, we we can't record from toddlers, of course, sure. but we <laughs> we we have record. People have recorded from toddling mice, uh, right, or, or rats, uh, like t- tiny little uh, uh, infants that are like day old to well two three day olds uh, and so on, and they show that uh, representation of space pretty much begins like soon day or two after the animals have opened their eyes and started walking around a little bit uh-huh. you already start seeing representation of space but but there is this very interesting contrast in there which is that in the hippocampus you actually see place cells neuron that represent individual spatial locations but at the same time the the tell us more about it exactly what does that mean i mean we are here mm-hmm. so 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 clearly so, there was no neuron for you being here um, mm-hmm. until you came to this place Right. So, so uh, I, I, I would, I, if I were to bet, I would bet on uh, the the neurons that that relatively represent neighboring locations uh-huh. already were doing something, already were prepared to do something similar. So what I'm doing is I'm literally just pulling off a map of the shelf, a piece of the map that already exists. And, 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 and you I'm mean that in up. the relational so, sense? So, you so, mean right. that in the sense? I mean that in the relational sense. In this, in the sense that uh, all locations in this room are already being represented in my brain. Like if you were to record from neurons what is in location? my brain. Yeah, so so let me just get to that. So if I were to record from neurons in my brain, I would say the, the location where I'm sitting right now, yeah. there will be a few neurons that represent this specific location. So every time I pass through this location now, there will be at least one neuron that... And what were these pop, neurons pop, pop, doing? Pop, what were these neurons doing an hour ago until you came here? Until I came here, they probably were either silent or were involved in representing something completely different. They are multi-purpose. And they are multi-purpose. And same neuron will represent completely different location in a different space. Let's say that this is sort of a square space, right? Sure. So if you go in another square and that square looks completely different, yeah. then there is no reason for the same neuron to fire in the same location. Right. But if the same neuron fires in that other room, it might fire at a completely different location. Not just that, the neurons that fire at neighboring locations in this room, so there is a neuron that might fire to the left of me and another neuron that so might fire to the right of me. So are you saying that they would have special purpose functions while you're here in this right. space? Right, exactly. So in this room, if you walk around, the same neuron will fire at a certain location. Right. 
exactly but, and and but and, if you were to fly out to bangalore tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, obviously those neurons will start doing something else is that what you say right exactly so okay. so so yeah so same neuron is sort of may, may play a role in representing a completely different spatial location but but that becomes a conundrum only when you're looking at single neuron at a time yeah. when you look at populations of neurons yeah. you're just saying that it, it's it's just forming a part of a completely different map so i can i, I still have completely unique relationships for every room so neurons that represent different spatial locations and things like that and those are very very unique kind of relationships and 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 those are relationships that are fairly concrete in the sense that if you come back here to the same room tomorrow you'll have neurons representing same neurons representing this space so you will know this is where i am and this is where i was yesterday it's not like you walk into a room and you're lost completely um you do you do see the, the uh, actually that kind of an effect like if you eliminate plasticity in the brain uh-huh. if, if you prevent brain from rewiring modifying its synaptic connections a little bit uh-huh. then what you see is that every time you enter a room you form a completely different map so what you've done basically is every time you walk into a room you're picking out different pa- patch of this pre-existing map rather than picking out the same patch so this plasticity now is i think important for and also for new maps new patches must be getting formed all the time right because right. i mean there isn't an inventory of uh, right. patches so, to start off so w- w- what we how does that what, happen you what, know what i mean yeah yeah no what i would say is i rather believe that it's likely that we have a large inventory like we form a very large inventory very early on Uh-huh. and then we are just doing a little bit of manipulation of well, assigning in, different parts and this is inventory of archetypes inventory of patterns inventory of relational in, types so inventory what is it inventory of relations of like basically what you have is uh is so what is a network. relation hmm? what is a relation in this context in in this context a relation that we are talking about is basically just synaptic connections between neurons Uh-huh. okay so so neurons talking to each other developing strong synaptic connectivity with each other and things like that and once you have that uh it's 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 like uh it's very easy let's say for example uh, for for some reason a priori reason one particular neuron fires at location i am sitting at yeah then the neurons that are strongly connected to this neuron yeah. are very likely to receive strong inputs from this neuron yeah. and therefore likely to get activated by this neuron and therefore likely to f- fire in a very very close by location of this neuron so so we we are bringing this a priori kind of structure especially in adult animals where uh you don't have much of synaptic plasticity you're already bringing in this kind of a structure and and what you're doing now is basically just saying oh you already have these pre-existing relationships let's just say that i'm assigning this patch of relationships to this particular space got it and that might be like toss of a coin chance kind of a phenomenon but once that's formed you need to stabilize that you need to say that every time i enter this room this is the patch of map i'm going to use every time interesting and and i think last question before we go to some of the others I mean, we, at least human beings are primarily 2d animals we move mm-hmm. on a 2d plane right. we're not necessarily flying around mm-hmm. so are the brains of birds and bats very different from ours um yes but not that they are 3d either i mean it's not like birds are walking around mostly uh-huh. they're mostly flying around in the yeah. birds somewhere yeah so so there is a very very interesting uh, uh set of research that is coming out uh from bats where they recorded from freely flying bats and what they see 
is that you you get very beautiful 3D structures in the brain. Like a single neuron represents sort of a spherical location inside a brain. So, okay. so uh, all X, Y, and Z dimensions are being equally represented uh, by a place cell in a bat uh, hippocampus. Uh, as against that, at least as of now, what we see in uh, in rats or any other land animals that people have recorded from is that the X and Y dimensions are very exquisitely represented, but the Z dimension does not seem to be very well represented. Mm. But I, I, I kind of have a problem with that, which is that when we test these things, terrestrial animals, we don't provide them with much of an access to, to run around in the third dimension. So you have a rat a little bit crawling up something a little bit and then moving around on a two-dimensional space so so what i'm what i'm wondering is whether whether if the animal actually moves around freely in z dimensions similar to moving in x and y dimensions whether even a a terrestrial animal will now start representing space equally in the third dimension as it represents in x and y so that's again something that's worth testing out interesting interesting Interesting. Only why don't we jump to you? Tell us a little bit about gravity and gravitational forces, and um, is is this space isotropic everywhere in the universe? Is it same? Does it feel the same? Is it the same? Yeah. So since uh, Sajin mentioned about representation, yeah, uh, it may be better to just start yeah. off from where we stopped, sure, which is about uh, relational space and relational yeah. time and so on. So when we are talking about relational space. Yeah. It is in relation to something. Yes. So what is, and that's where perception becomes extremely important. See, without perception, there is no space, there is no time in our life. So perception is always relative to matter. How do we perceive space? It's only after perception we can represent it. Of course, between perception and representation, maybe there is a extra step of some kind of a comprehension, cognition and so on. But uh, perception is primary and well before representation. And it is always in relation to matter. And that's where the issue of whether space is something which is given in which you can just place matter or uh, it is essential to have matter before one can talk about space. Tell us the answer. It's a very it's a yeah, tantalizing question. So there is no uh, real answer to this probably. Okay. However, uh, a possible answer, a clue, comes from looking at time and not space. Yeah. Because it is very clear, if you look at it very rigorously, yeah. there is no way to define time without matter. Yeah. Space is a little bit more tricky is what I feel. But time, unless there is a change of a matter configuration, there is no way to talk about time. So at least for time, we know matter is essentially primary and time is derived. Space, is this, is this, uh, is, I wouldn't... Is this a commonplace understanding no, in the community? No, it is not. It is not. Most of theoretical physics today assumes that space and time are a priori. Yeah. Matter is relatively unimportant. Yeah. Except when you introduce matter into this a priori space and time, which is assumed to be isotropic, homogeneous and so on, because yeah. if there is no matter, space has to be everywhere it has to be similar. It has I mean, to be at the least same. There is no reason... Or it to be As Levinas says, you know, there is sufficient. There is no sufficient reason to say that it is different. Otherwise, yeah. when there is matter, things become very different because if matter is going to influence space and time, then of course it need not remain isotropic where there is matter, and that that's what goes into 
Einstein's theory of gravity, the general theory, theory of relativity, primarily says things like this. Matter can affect space so what is a time. priori for you undi i reject uh, this view i reject this view and for me especially because of this example with time matter is primary and space is only a relational quantity as far as i'm concerned and once you say this gravity becomes important very because interesting So what happens at the big bang we'll go to gravity what happens at the no, big bang there's no, no space you're asking me the most difficult question right in the middle of this uh, discussion sure. see big bang so this is here we are going to talk about origin right origin of yeah. what we know yeah. about uh, the cosmos even these concepts and so on there is no real agreed answer in standard physics for such questions but what you say is very interesting because there is no space before the big bang because you reject space being a priori that's right so yeah. it starts with some matter and then you know things take yeah, over i don't know what to start uh, with it's, very it's in some sense together uh, one may say but yeah. uh, you know i think that that we are trying to address a very difficult question which cannot be uh, i mean clearly we can't uh, sort it out just now so just, uh, or any time i think it will get continued uh, Uh, to discuss uh, people will continue to discuss those sure, questions so why don't we go to gravity uh, yeah so gravity once you say matter is uh, important at least as important as these concepts yeah which is not the standard view since matter is the source of gravity yeah that becomes a primary quantity in the considerations of all of physics so uh, it is true that present day theoretical physics theoretical physics is an attempt to formulate what we see what we perceive in terms of principles and laws and so on all fundamental theories of theoretical physics were completed by about 1930 by which time we had no idea of how much matter is there in the universe okay. yeah because cosmology came later yeah because all our fundamental theories therefore are constructed explicitly in empty isotropic space yeah it's very they leave out the matter in the universe and its gravity completely and then the question arises suppose all this gravity has some effect on motion here certainly we have left it out in our theories we have missed in incorporating those so this is why i am completely skeptical of present day physical theories and i think they need a reformulation in terms of matter as primary its gravity as primary because if you actually calculate approximately the gravity of all the matter in the universe it far exceeds the gravity of anything which is locally created any local matter as an effect on any given point is right and uh, you know just to say it slightly more uh, not technically but as a as a interesting coincidence which people people knew for a long time gravitational potential you can calculate newtonian gravitational potential approximately and you get a number with a unit and that is numerically equal to the square of the velocity of light and we know that fundamental theories of physics put a lot of emphasis on the square of the or velocity of light or square of the velocity of light as a quantity you see this coincidence and you can immediately say that maybe we made a mistake that light has nothing to do with it it's a gravity of the universe which decides all these mathematical expressions so this is a kind of thing i'm i'm actually it's, working it's on these days because i'm it's convinced that 
this is this should be the new conception of space and time may the force be with you oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> and it's gravity <laughs> and gravity i mean you have a lot of it to support you it's in very 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 interesting how would you depict uh, represent empty space atul i mean do you is it possible to conceive of space without matter and obviously we are using these words in very different senses when we go from only to use so one totally gets that right. um, yeah no as far as fine art is concerned is painting is concerned or creativity is concerned pure art is concerned you know it's uh, it's um, uh, it's not just one aspect of you know uh, the element of art that is say space form color texture you know all these things are you know together it makes the whole thing you know even if i am just want to talk about uh, uh, an artist's work which is just a large vast one red color on it you know say barnet newman a great american abstract painter um, even if you see his work i mean no then the question comes how he has applied the paint you know whether it's a thick whether it's a thin so you know you get involved into the uh, um material aspect of the thing so one i don't think you know it's just the one element or one specific particular aspect which artist would keep in mind and then concentrate even if he wants to do it you know there are other things which kind of you know which will force him to kind of think about many things and then you kind of you know it's all together what experience uh you know you get it like when i'm painting as a uh, a room i did one of my painting which was called the room which is completely empty and i i uh, i'll show you at some point the reproductions it was like a kind of a you see a door and then there's a balcony and balcony had a kind of a curved grill i said no curve only straight so everything is vertical horizontal and just dark empty room and no and, and you do see sky from the the doorway but it's flat without cloud and i had asked my nephew to sit in the center of the uh, on the um, threshold and while painting suddenly i felt like what if i remove this boy who is the main subject matter of the painting probably the emptiness of the room would have a more impact as a creative work yeah you know? so i i i i i removed i, I mean i painted the uh, removed him and kind of a painted the empty room but then i felt okay some element of human touch should be there so there is a one doormat you know which was uh, kept on the threshold and which had slightly fold other everything was vertical horizontal yeah. that's how i kind of you know created that painting but i think uh, the it's 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 uh, one thing we should not forget that ex- this the business of art is extremely uh, you know entity sort of also it is very very uh, subjective of course you know the red color the way i would see i think of barnet newman and someone might think of blood and someone may think of something you know of marxist flag or you know i don't know right. you know, chinese flag what i mean it could be anything so i think you know the, our perception of the world it, it varies so much you know uh, from each in, for each individual that it becomes very difficult to sometimes you know kind of define and that's that's why you know there is a lots of debate sometimes happens and what role atul will i yeah. think one gets that that's beautiful what role does matter play in your works let's say or works of artists you know if if there are more objects more matter 
India work? How does the conception well, and representation well, of, of, course, of space like, change? Again, you know, to begin with, it's a, what whether it's a, a hyper realistic work or whether it's expressionistic work. Yeah. Expressionistic work meaning, you know, like if the colors are applied with a very emotionally charged and kind of, I just kind of attack. Is it like that? Or there's a much more cool approach. I, I have a <laughs> photograph and kind of, you know, I just kind of quietly render each and every element. So if there is a kind of a sheet of galvanized, corrugated sheet of galvanized, which has a shine, or is, is it is, is it that corrugated sheet is of not galvanized, but a, um, not a metal, but a cement sheet. Right. Again, immediately becomes a mat, and right. you know, little thick surface, um, or there is a cement wall or whatever. So I think you know these objects which you feel like kind of you know um, not uh, realistically representation of you know those things which are there, but because you know you feel that you know it needs uh, these effects also to be seen. Like sometimes you may have those things, you know, uh, uh, but uh, you can kind of, you know, keep it, you can, uh, you don't depict those specific uh, surfaces, you know, for your painting. You may do that as well. And the so, and the number of relationships, the number of relations, you use the word combinator a little yeah. while ago, Sachin, that obviously grows at a, as a, at an exponential rate, right? I mean, if, if there was a painting with five objects in there versus 25 objects the number of relations in the in the, in the one with 25 objects is exponentially high so do you worry about adding any one new thing to your work do you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean even when, whether it's a 25 because, or 50 or whether it's just five uh, you know it all kind of depends that uh, you see the interesting thing and you because know, all of them relate to each of the other but I tell you something what is most fascinating interesting is that you know like you start with a painting you have a vague idea about your subject matter yeah um, about say okay my nephew uh, 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 he, he he walks like this or he stands like this so you know I, I and I, I take his photograph and I kind of you know I ask him to give me that pose yeah but <laughs> along with that then I kind of you know then in the room in his house, these are the objects were there. So because I took a photograph and so I kind of start with that. Then I realized, okay, no, no, no. The, you see, the, the mood is different. The way he is kind of standing and the way I treated him. Though I just wanted, I you know, sometimes I have some clear idea. Sometimes I have no idea. But I want to, I have, there is a, emotionally I am charged. Emotionally I feel like doing things. Now that that is a profound mystery. Right. of a work of art and right. then I said no but no okay this thing should not be there even though it's there it's his most favorite like he plays cricket say and you know that's his bat so it should be there but the bat form it doesn't have any beauty in it itself <laughs> as a form but maybe there's some sort of a vase you know or some sort of a, another object or a helmet metal helmet shining kept on the table probably that is a more because of the cavity of the uh, helmet makes more you know uh, mysterious mysteries adds rather than this kind of a bat form so uh, cricket bat I am talking so I think you know that's how you choose you select you kind of you know you negotiate you kind of uh, you uh, uh, decide many things to ultimately and then finally you know when it happens there is also this happens, okay, this is what I was wanted to do and that has happened. If that happens, then I'm a failure. <laughs> it's, it's a reverse thing because you see, that is what, you know, then I knew 
that means i knew everything and i myself don't feel happy about it so if <laughs> till i don't discover if i am not Unless baffled myself surprising happens it's not fun <laughs> <laughs> if i am not baffled if i am not surprised if i am not shocked what happened in the painting then i think then there's no point so that's what picasso was very famous quotation saying i do not seek i find yeah <laughs> you see this is the the spirit of you know i mean of the art you know that if you know already if i know how to come to mahalakshmi from ghatkopar then i i know it yeah. but if i don't know you yeah. know then there is a kind of you know discoveries yeah so this we are craving for those discoveries whether in terms of space whether in terms of form of course there are some rules like if i paint a uh, um um man you know uh, but he he's all he's holding not a baby but he's holding another man yeah small yeah i think then there is a there is a mystery to it yeah but a man holding a baby is a common thing yeah you see so i think these are the kind of a thing you know which which makes the thing so how to create uh, and if you are you know like say now you also understand okay so that means to you have one has to create mystery one has to create a kind of a baffling imagery okay so then for that also there are rules and if you follow those rules no that also doesn't work then you know that okay, it has come out of you know out of just a formula uh, some formula yeah it's not it has not come from the inner thing so lot of you know extremely personal um uh, instinctively you know sort of perceived but at the same time it's it's very difficult to sort of say you know that sometimes when i say it's good painting and if you ask me why it's good there is you know i mean i can try concrete example if we have it i can say but still that's interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. often artists have said that you know we just try to make pictures we don't know i mean you know how and where we want to go i mean i mean you you land in some unknown space that's interesting yeah. uh, only tell me something you know we just go to the question of dimensionality for a second and you know i think physicists are famous for it how many dimensions are there because when we we obviously when we say space we think of it in the 3d kind of manner um uh, but and i mean if there are more dimensions then is there a way to represent them at all whether in art or whether in our brain and um yeah so if one is depending on experience perception yeah, yeah. of course it is just three dimensional space and quite separate from it the concept of time i would say i mean i i still right. don't subscribe to loose terms like space time and so on i think these are sure. misleading already in physics itself sure so outside physics it will be even more misleading sure now about uh, on the other hand but is uh, the uni- what's the dimensionality of the universe yeah so in the from the percep- perception point of view it is just that three dimensional space okay however physics seem to Uh, need more dimensions because the way it is trying to construct certain theories which is nothing to do with perception so if once you represent physical phenomena in a particular way you also tend to speculate on those parts of physics where right now we don't have any perceived phenomena yeah okay, what happens at very small subatomic scales or what happens at the beginning of the universe and things like that people try to construct theories of that speculate now representation of space is something there is one representation in the brain but there is also a representation in physical theory yeah which is different that's true because that has to do with a mathematical representation yes so if you start 
one may say it may have started with Descartes. Yeah. You know, trying to give a coordinate system. Yeah. One set of numbers for each dimension and so on. But once you do this, this can be generalized because mathematical uh, imagination, there is no restriction on how many you can represent. But can one visualize it at all? I mean, yes, one there, are the ways of, there are ways of visualizing. How does one visualize five dimensions, for example? Usually it is done as some layered, you know, you, you represent three, you imagine three, then you have a separate space in your brain for the extra dimension. What does that mean? Is there a separate space? I mean, what I mean is you don't represent it in the same as, uh, you know, axis going in orthogonal direction and so on. You try to think of multiple worlds all existing at the same time and things like that. You know, it's not as simple. People have tried to look at uh, geometrical representations, which you can explain to people. But usually these things are done purely at a, uh, some new mathematical object is invented which yeah. includes all these dimensions and so on. Anyway, so there is a representation possible. There is no limit to how many re- you can represent. And is there a limit to how many dimensions there can be? No, th- then there is no limit to. So therefore, things like string theories, they would talk about 10 dimensions. Yeah. And uh, Einstein's attempt to unify various theories, electromagnetism and gravity, yeah. he was talking about a five-dimensional kind of a space and time together. Yeah. So there are theories. These theories are 100 years old, uh, this kind of attempts. Yeah. But then you can ask, uh, you know, you can speculate. How do you test? How do you see whether there are more dimensions? There is at least one way which people thought these things might be testable, uh-huh. which, uh, which goes back to an interesting interpretation of fields and forces by Gauss, the mathematician Gauss. Yeah. So he said, uh, if you imagine rays of force emanating from a point charge or something. Yeah. It sort of spreads out in space. Yeah. As it spreads out, its density will decrease. Yeah. But how this density will decrease depends on the number of dimensions. More dimensions means the rate of decrease of this density will be higher. Yeah. So you measure a force like electromagnetism or gravity as a function of distance. This can tell you, in principle, how many spatial dimensions are there. People oh. do these kind of experiments. They have R cube and all that for yeah, yeah. gravitation. So, so the, the one by R square depends crucially on the fact that space has three dimensions. Mm. So you measure this very accurately. Suppose you see a small deviation from one by R square law. In that gives you a clue that probably there's an extra probably. dimension. Probably. There could be other reasons, but probably. So this is the kind of things people do experimentally. I am but skeptical of many of these attempts because whatever, you, whether it you whether you call it a prejudice or conviction, I think that space and time are related to matter. Yeah. And if matter has only three dimensions, I believe then, therefore, space also should have only those three dimensions. Interesting, interesting. Sachin, why don't we go to you? What's the brain like? I mean, does it, are there any clues there? I mean, about the nature of, I mean, obviously it's a human brain, so... It's, it's evolved uh, over the years to cater to what we perceive and experience. So, Are there any clues there on extra dimensions in the universe? Um, I would say, I mean, 
as it is brains i would say struggle with three so <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit hard no but 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 uh, uh, going on with the question you were asking only a uh, little while ago like is it easy to imagine uh, more dimensions like i would like to add to that a please, little bit please. in terms of like mathematical equations you could very easily imagine more but when it comes to like the 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 going from three to four dimensions as an object how how do you go about imagining it only thing i can possibly think of doing is let's say if i were to imagine a four dimensional sphere i would start with a sphere and go on expanding the sphere and bringing it down kind of a thing but like introducing using time as the fourth dimension of space uh, uh, to re- to represent a sphere but and now but you that's ask me problematic right then you, yeah exactly that's a problematic thing but then you ask me to put in a fifth dimension to that i've lost uh, the game i mean there's no way of like imagining geometrically per se as far as uh, i can see in uh, in uh, in the representations that you see within the brain um so uh, so i think i think it's just a matter of language that you use to represent space like the ma- language of mathematics makes it very easy to get in that uh, get in whatever arbitrary number of dimensions you're talking about however uh, you know like these artists do like atul das and so on for him it's a two dimensional surface available to him most of the time but he creates the third dimension on the surface itself yes by perspective and relational Uh, you know or do something dramatically postmodern it can be many many dimensions yeah, so it can be many worlds so that is one clue how you create extra dimensions even in representation within our own mm-hmm. perception not mathematically right this right. is quite uh, in the perception itself right so maybe there are possibilities like that where you say okay the next dimension the higher dimension is represented by doing a relation between objects or Sorry, equivalent to a perspective late. and so on. It's a possibility, right? But you're you're still using like pre-existing dimensions that are available to you yes, to right. construct yeah. something yes. so, something more kind of a thing. So, so I would say it's it's more of a artifice in the sense of like building on top of what you know, yeah. rather than having a inherent ability to uh, to just infinitely uh, add dimensions to space per se. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, and also, is, you know, I mean, uh, if I please, may, please, yeah, no, I think, um, uh, yeah, I think you know the as uh, Unni just now mentioned about say in in uh, pictorial space in two dimensional space on a canvas with perspective we create a three dimensional space that's there, uh, but I think more more an artist interested in this kind of a uh, uh, emotion or a. feelings if it that gets generated like you know like it comes a li- line from a poetry not from a visual world i'm talking sure. but a language where you know where uh, it's a german poet rilke you know ran amare rilke's poem rilke. mm. and there's a you know a, a line which i read and you know i mean i was sort of moved it says uh, it's it's the first line for a poem small poem and it says i am a flag surrounded by distances right i am a flag surrounded by distances so that you know i mean so immediately i said ah oh, that means you know <laughs> loneliness ke you are a flag actually you are a flag so i mean the whole world sees the flag yeah. we were talking about do you feel lonely yeah. you know the every whole world sees it but he said but i am surrounded by distances so when you say i am surrounded by distances so suddenly the vastness and alone somewhere on the top 
you know there is there is no uh, kind of joy there is a kind of a, some sort of poignancy poignant emotion feeling you know which you feel so i think <laughs> this is some if, if something like this happens then we say oh what a poetic Anything. the element of poetic you know which we say often in cinema in theater in drama in painting literature wherever so i think that that this kind of things are I mean, or otherwise i read something about it's also it has to do with the space that's why i'm mentioning i think it's a borges or somebody some other writer latin american he says we are just the husk and what grows within us is the grain of death <laughs> you know so i mean in you know so i mean uh, and uh, the body is just a husk you know what we are kind of you know ultimately is death so i think this kind of a things sometimes yeah i mean i don't know scientists and, uh, and you know and people from um, uh, technology and other areas how do you feel about this thing very powerful imagery why don't we just spend the last one or two minutes uh, such in trying to understand the distinction in our minds and brains rather between place and space i mean is there non spatial information in the in our conception representation of space if you know what i mean uh yeah so so uh, ultimately like in the hippocampus it looks like uh uh the goal is not just to represent space but you're going towards memories like uh yeah. like episodic memories uh for example wherein you you're trying to represent what happened where it happened and when it happened so so what, this where, where, where yeah so the where is is providing you the anchor your your uh your sort of boxing your memories with different locations so so for example uh if i were to recall this conversation that we are having today yeah. uh I, i i would very much place it in the spatial context that yeah. is here so so you're modifying the representation of that particular spatial location so in order to layer other uh, other information on top of that so uh, so you have this uh, episodic kind of uh, uh very uh, you 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 form a cognitive map wherein uh, you're uh, boxing new memories on top of space so you're representing non spatial variables uh completely uh something that is like i mean water bottle is a water bottle but a water bottle that you had uh, on top of half dome when you were thirsty and dying uh is completely different from a water bottle you had elsewhere so you have Uh, association maybe the more dimensions you add the more poetic it gets so <laughs> that's a very interesting yeah and i think what i understood little bit from what just now uh, sachin said that i think the space you know i mean it it uh, what happens that um, um, the juxtaposition of objects and where you keep and how you see it like for example this you know i have been seeing this twix jar with a chocolate and three pigs you know this ceramic pigs which are kept here now here it's fine and you know it doesn't matter it's 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 nothing yeah. it's it has no no value of any yeah. kind but the same thing if you take it in the same position just and put in 100 feet by 100 feet square in museum of modern art new york in the central in that hall that's it and you just see <laughs> it it gets transformed into a work of art because you know because of the location because the space and that space has been given name you know so i think that what happened i mean of course it good or bad is another thing so using the <laughs> word space in the in the sense of context 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 context, context. yeah 
very much I, I tell you yeah. i tell you you know another example i'm sorry you know example keeps coming sure. about this that you know uh, if you remember the movie a great film by satyadeva called kanchanjanga uh-huh. in kanchanjanga there is this story about you know family has come to watch you know uh, look at the range of mountain and they are not able to see it till the end anyway sure. last day few hours they are supposed to live that the film is about and the girl is not getting married and father is was a, like a landlord not landlord but industrialist and very strict person and he happens to meet one of the local guy who had come from calcutta who was a teacher his daughter's teacher sure. with his nephew and you know nephew says and he said like, what do you do this uh, businessman said i don't do anything so any job no okay this is my card come you know uh, uh, to my i'll give you the job and there he says that uh, because they are in darjeeling yeah. and you know, on the hill and beautiful landscape and he said no i won't come you don't need money you don't want job okay no I don't want your job. Take your card. I mean, so you know, like he was the the industry was shocked. And then later, this boy, you know, that girl, uh, uh, industry's daughter, asked, "Why did you do that? How could you say this?" Okay, the same thing. If you would have asked me in Calcutta, I would have accepted. But here, on the hill, in front of this Himalayan range of Kanchenjunga, you know, and this birds and you know this breeze, I I felt so. Uh, over i mean like i felt profound freedom came to me somewhere and i declined excellent excellent i think that's that a good is the space that's what this space works with us thank you i think that's a good note to end it on and we look forward to having all of you soon again thank you really appreciate it